Welcome into Kitchen Talk Pickleball Edition. I'm your host, Caitlin Miller. And this week we have Stephanie Lane. Stephanie's a senior pro. She's a committee member of the Pickleball Hall of Fame, has won several medals at the U.S. Open and national tournaments, and was actually also the first ever sponsored paddle tech player. Stephanie, it's so good to see you and have you on. Hey, Caitlin. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. And so this is a crazy story. We're both based out of Nashville. Um, I met, well, I've heard a lot about Stephanie, but finally had the opportunity to meet her when I was getting my IPTPA coaching certification, which Stephanie actually taught the class. So Stephanie, how did you get into, you know, training other people to become coaches as well? Well, it's, goes way back. Um, IPGPA is the original teaching organization. And so with being a PE teacher for 30 plus years, I've been breaking down skills my whole life. And so when I learned about the IPTPA getting ready to get started, I thought I want to be a part of that. And I was blown away by how much I needed to change the way I had been teaching pickleball. So loved it so much and uh, got so much out of that course. And so then was invited to start teaching it. And that's kind of the story. And what were some of the things that you learned, I guess, one, about learning how to teach pickleball, but also to train other people to learn how to be coaches as well? Gotcha. Um, you know, I started when I first started just thinking about teaching others, I thought about that I would just start with the first shot and the first shot to get the um, point started, is, as we know, is the serve. But I learned later and was educated that when we start with the serve, Caitlin, and start with that really tight grip pressure, you can't even hardly pry that paddle out of their hands when it's time to learn how to dink. So um, Riff at the IPTPA learned, uh, taught us actually how to start at the, at the non-volley zone line. We call it the winning line and uh, with a soft grip pressure. And we start with the dink, which is helpful for beginners to learn how to get the ball rallying over the net back and forth immediately. And then it's natural to tighten your grip. And so that kind of comes later. But yeah, it really was just a major turn in my teaching career. I know. And that was, you know, I wish I had that course as well, because I was a tennis player and started from the baseline. And I was like, oh, I'm good at this sport. And then you start playing with four O's, four fives, and you get absolutely crushed because you don't have any slow games. So I felt like I had to relearn the sport like after six months of playing. So I wish I had your course before <laughs> I learned how to actually play. And what's cool too about you is you you also go around and teach people the sport. I know you travel literally all over the country. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about those experiences and what you've done with that. It's just been so much fun to meet um, so many wonderful cream of the crop type of people all over the country and just so blessed to get um, invited to come teach. And so love teaching the workshops as well as clinics all over. But, um, you know, from Arizona to Florida to, um, you know, Michigan, it's just been so awesome because basically when you go teach people, in a nutshell, people play pickleball volleyball at first. It, they, the serve bounces, the return bounces, and nothing else does until it's the put-away time, right? And so then when you can teach them how to make that ball bounce, which is kind of what I figured out when I went to Arizona, it's, it was really eye-opening to see that the team that makes the ball bounce can't get really attacked as, as easily. And so that's kind of like my motto, make the ball bounce, and just still love meeting all kinds of wonderful people all over the country and there's just many more that really still want to learn it. So it'll never end, I don't think. 
Well, that's the thing with, you know, like you were saying, the many more people that want to learn it. Have you noticed from teaching all these years and traveling around just like, I don't know, all these facilities starting to open up and just a lot more courts as you do travel the country? Absolutely. But as you know, we're still lacking a little bit here in Nashville. I know we're going to be getting one or two soon. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that, um, you know, it's been it's been a long time coming. But yeah, facilities opening up and not even in major cities, right? Just, you know, these small little cities are getting these nice indoor um, multi, you know, year round facilities they can go into, uh, whether it's raining or whether it's cold or just want to be inside or whatever. And so those that's kind of where it's going right there's no more there's not many more gym pickleball uh, pickleball tournaments any longer thank goodness and that is i mean it's great pickleball is growing so fast but it almost is like growing too fast for its own good like you said we have that issue in nashville where it is you know our one facility shut down temporarily because of a pipe burst and i literally was like oh my gosh i have to train for these tournaments we have nowhere to go and you've been a huge advocate for that here in this city um, so what has that been like and what do you think needs to change moving forward to keep up with this demand? Oh, it's, you know, this is year 13 and uh, we have a few lines on tennis courts and we have, you know, four courts at Centennial, thankfully, finally. But it's just been, um, I guess, just trying to maybe get paddles in the decision makers hands so that they can learn this sport and learn how wonderful it is and what a game changer and a life changer it is um, in your life to be able to learn this sport. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I, I don't really know the answer. I get asked that all the time, and I haven't give up, given up, and I never will. But um, I don't think it's a money issue. I think there's maybe some other underlying issues that maybe you know better than me. But um, we, we're never going to give up, and we keep trying to, you know, just pass the torch to let somebody else try to have meetings with the parks people. But it's going to happen. Yes, no, definitely. And I mean, you started too before this was even an issue because you started all the way back in 2011, got to play with some other legends like Kyle Yates, Dave Weinbach. I mean, what was it like? I guess kind of walk me through your journey from then until now in the sport. So I started playing in 2011 after learning the sport back in college in 1988. And I just thought, now, she's made this sport up. There's no way that this is a sport. But we looked at the paddle, the wooden paddle, and it said pickle hyphen ball. And I thought, well, I guess she didn't make it up. But, you know, we just played mini tennis on the on the, on the the pickleball court with wooden paddles back in college. So put the paddles down, never thought about it again because I thought it was just a PE game for kids and indoors. And then in 2011, A game, or what's now known as TOA, was offering pickleball. And I thought, is that that same sport that we <laughs> could not get enough of back in the day in college? And sure enough, it was. And then the rest is history. So it was just so much fun to start playing local tournaments and then going a little bit in, you know, um, been going out in the state, our state of Tennessee, other places, and then going to other states and then finally going to nationals and just seeing what a big deal it was everywhere. And um, just kind of got lucky. And Kyle needed a partner in 2000, I guess, 15. And um, I literally got up that morning and thought, what was I thinking? And I was like, well, I looked at the draw and I went, oh, I've never beat any of these people. I was like, wait a minute, Kyle Yates is on my side of the court. I'm going to be okay. So uh, he was so young, he couldn't even rent a car. He was so young. You know, he was like, I don't know, 17, 18, whatever it was. Um, but anyway, it was just so fun to get to play and learn from Dave Weinbach and 
you know, Wesley Gabrielson and Scott Moore and just some great legends of the sport who are still doing really, really well. And, uh, you know, Kaylin, I just chalk it up to girl that I was just at the right place at the right time, because if I came into the sport now, I'd be out of luck. (laughs) It has gotten so competitive. It's crazy. And I mean, so back in 2011, were you in Nashville at that time? Yes, I was right here in Nashville. Yeah, we were were putting down chalk. I was going to say, were you like one of the only people playing around here? It wasn't very many. You know, it wasn't very many. Uh, Nicole Hobson, who is with the APP, she was my doubles partner. And she kind of really helped me learn about doubles. I was a singles player at heart. I played college tennis. And so singles was my first love. And I didn't really understand the double strategies and all the nuances of that. But she really helped me with that. And so we would just put down painter's tape and chalk and just go to public tennis courts and have to kind of get in some different, you know, conversations with tennis players. And um, so we just kind of, you know, kept plugging away and kept playing because even though, Caitlin, we don't have facilities, you just can't stop the growth of pickleball. It's just too infectious and just so wonderful that, you know, it, nobody can stop the growth of pickleball, whether you have courts or not, you can make do on a, on a driveway, you know? Yes. Yeah. You literally can. And speaking of that, you also have a sponsorship, right? With pickle roll. So um, talk to me a little bit about that. And what's the goal? Is that kind of like you were saying, like, okay, I don't have a facility. Well, we can kind of make our own situation. So um, I met the guys in Austin, um, Anna Lee and her mom, Lee, were warming up on this court. And so they were finished and getting ready to go to their match. I said, can I jump on there and just, you know, play some points as I get ready for my match? And somebody said, well, you know, that's a match. And I said, a what? They said, yes. Yeah. So I went over there and pulled up the corner and I was like, we're going to get pickleball courts in Nashville if this mat feels like this, because you couldn't tell the difference between a, a real, you know, a dedicated court and the pickle roll. And so I met them and they were from all of all places. Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was like, no way, Drew and Nathan. (laughs) So we made a little partnership and uh, I have one in my backyard and um, you can kind of maybe see it behind me a little bit, maybe. But um, you just pour a slab of concrete and um, pick a roll can go over the top of it and you can kind of put down a court anywhere there was a flat, hard surface. And it really makes it, you know, kind of a portable court or kind of a, you know, a permanent court, kind of really whatever your goals are there. So do you think there's a lot of opportunity for that to expand moving forward so we can, you know, get more courts in different places all across the country? I really do. You know, one of their first places that it kind of showed that it was going to be a real thing was when they went up to the New York Stock Exchange. And so they had to get it up on an elevator, you know, up to that floor and um, and then assemble it. And they spent all night assembling it. So it really is something that can be uh, portable to, to um, assemble or it can be coming in bigger roles if you have a bigger space um, and not the, you know, the restrictions of getting up an elevator. But yeah, I really do think that pick a roll is going to make the availability to have a pickleball court really accessible. And they're the real deal. I mean, they really are. If I blindfolded somebody and said, okay, is this a dedicated court or pick a roll? I really don't think you'd be able to tell the difference. Wow. Wow. And can those be used? Like, let's say there's a corporate event and they have some space. Can it be temporary or is it something you kind of invest in long term? You know, I think if I'm not sure if they're renting them right now, I know you can purchase them. Um, so I don't know the details on that, but I know that like at tournaments where there's like, you know, convention centers where there's that polished concrete that we used to play on with the indoor ball that used to just kill our joints. It's so nice now that um, a pickle roll can be put there 
uh, temporarily or, you know, for longer term, whatever the, you know, needs are, but it, then you can use an outdoor ball. And so it really changes the whole dynamic of, you know, higher level pickleball or tournaments for whatever level. But yeah, it really is a game changer. It is. And I've actually played on Stephanie's outdoor court and I can attest that I really did not tell the difference at all. And it makes it awesome that you get to have it right there. I loved it. (laughs) Thanks. So blessed. Long time coming, but so blessed. Yes. Yes. Finally, you deserve it. And also just seeing, I think what's cool because like one of the events we went to together was the one Summerfest at Geodis Park with Nashville SC, which is our professional soccer team. We also have the Nashville Sounds who embraced pickleball too. They had an indoor league and courts out there. Is it cool to see just other sports actually embracing pickleball too? It really is. You know, it's so nice to be able to have um, other pro sports uh, embracing the sport and their athletes just can't get enough of it. And so to be able to have, you know, courts at those major events um, it just brings in another dimension, I think, to their what they're trying to do as well. So you just can't go wrong with pickleball, Caitlin, no matter what, where it's offered, you know, in New York City at Central Park. And it's just it's just everywhere. And so many, you know, former athletes that want to stay in shape and have fun participating and being active their whole lives. And then musicians are jumping in as well. And it's just for everybody. It's so easy to learn. Kind of difficult yes. to master, but di- easy to learn. And so everybody can play no matter what skill level you want to and uh, recreational or, you know, professional or, you know, competitive. It's just, it's just literally for everybody. And you're one of the most like enthusiastic people about the sport. I feel like you really help everyone, you know, come to love this sport. So since you've been playing regularly since 2011, I mean, how has this really helped change your life? Oh, I, I literally, my greatest friends are through pickleball. It really has been amazing to just, it's just the cream, like I said, the cream of the crop people, everybody's kind of already had their, you know, their former competitive days of whatever they competed in or whatever. And, and we still are competitive, but we just, just love each other and just so helpful. And just, it just breaks down all the boundaries. And I just, somebody said, it's going to help unite America. And I really do think it will, because we don't care any of the differences that we have with people when we're playing pickleball, we're just all smiles and and trying to play our best. And just, it's just, it's absolutely life-changing. And I hope everybody will give it a shot. Um, Whether you are an athlete or not, you don't have to have had any sporting background and uh, you can just play for fun with the family. I've seen four generations on the same court and that just makes it really, really neat. I really feel like that is the only sport. I mean, you can see like a five-year-old on the court and then an 85-year-old on the court and, you know, people in wheelchairs can play. I think that is why this sport is really here to stay. It's because, like you said, anyone can play. You can play at a competitive level. You can do it for a corporate or charity event. It's just, I feel like it's fun for everyone. I've never really met someone who hasn't liked the sport. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you're also, this is cool, you're on the nominating committee for the Pickleball Hall of Fame. So what exactly, you know, does that entail, being one of those members? So we accumulate and collect all of the uh, Pickleball Hall of Fame nominations throughout the year. And then we have a process that we go through where we read all the um, applications and make sure that they, you know, fit the criteria. It's a pretty strict criteria. 
And then we kind of narrow it down um, with each other. And then we send our list on to the selection committee. And the selection committee's, uh, committee is the one who actually, you know, narrows it down even more to, to get the final list. And so it's really an uh, amazing um, part of our sport that the, the, you know, the founders and the, the, the major difference makers have been, uh, been able to be, uh, you know, highlighted and uh, preserved uh, for forever. So, so happy about that, that Riff, uh, Seymour Rifkin was able to get that started. And then ironically, he got in, inducted into the Hall of Fame last year and he had absolutely no plans or ever dreamed <laughs> of getting inducted, but he has made such significant uh, contributions to our sport that we all were just like, there's nobody else has done that for our sport. So yeah, it's been wow, fun. That's amazing. And seeing, just being a part of the committee for a while, seeing the talent evolve over the years, has it been pretty crazy to see, you know, the oh. difference and how everyone's improving like crazy? I mean, back in the day, if you just consistently drove the ball, I'll call it being ostracized. I mean, you really had to learn to play soft because, you know, it just it wasn't really a challenge uh, when, when, when I learned, I was called laser lane. So I drove every ball as hard as I could playing college tennis. And I just learned quickly that that's not what the best players did because that wasn't even a challenge. And so kind of went through the, the, the hard process of learning how to change that grip pressure to make that ball bounce instead of driving it. And you've got to have both. There's no doubt about it. You've got to have both the hard and the soft game. But the soft game really does set the higher level players apart from the, you know, intermediates. So, but it's yes. changed drastically. It has. It has. It's amazing to watch. I like see some of these points, you know, that are especially posted on Instagram and stuff. And it is pretty mind boggling, like the shots people make now and um, just the athleticism on the court, too. Do you think it has like I know you were a collegiate tennis player, but do you think pickleball will be an NCAA sport? I really do. Uh, funny story, when my husband was associate athletic director at Lipscomb University, our daughter, who was very young at the time, Lee Ellen, said, you know, Mommy, are there pickleball scholarships? And I said, you know, Lee Ellen, there's not, because she would hear that conversation all the time about basketball and tennis scholarships. But I really do think, Caitlin, that it's coming. I know that they're already competing collegiately in Utah and Arizona. And I know that, you know, it's just a matter of time. And when that happens, that means it's going to right trickle down all the way from high school down to middle school, down to elementary school. And being an elementary PE teacher still today, you know, we, we do introduce it as just the introductory skills so that they can be ready to for middle school and then get better from middle school to high school and so forth. So it's just it, you can't stop the growth. It's going to happen. Now, is that something you recently added to your curriculum or is that something like having pickleball for elementary school gym students or is that something you've always done? Uh, just, you know, we use balloons for kindergarten, but we get a paddle in their hand and just trying to get them to understand how to just make, you know, the hand-eye coordination. Not real games, of course, because we have like, what, uh, 50 kids in a gym and so there's room yeah, enough yeah. for two courts. <laughs> but just little, you know, lead up skills over cones and little banners. We'll just get them to dink a little tap tap the balloon or tap the softball um, or work, work to a regular pickleball. But yeah, we love to get those skills started as young as we can. I love that. That's so cute. And I mean, you've been probably more places than most people to play pickleball. Where was your favorite place to play? What was the most beautiful or coolest place that you've played at? I mean, obviously you can't hardly beat Hawaii. 
But uh, one of my favorite places uh, from really early on, like 2012, I would say, was St. George, Utah. So if you've never been to St. George, Utah, it's just the most wonderful people and the climate's awesome. The surroundings are gorgeous with the Red Rock and National Parks. And, you know, they had the most uh, dedicated public courts where you don't pay anything and they were lighted. And so you could go outside and, um, you know, in the evenings and play and just not even pay a dime. And so that has to be one of the tops, if not the top, but St. George, Utah, which is about a, I guess, a two hour drive from Vegas. Fly into okay. Vegas in two hours there and you can drive through the gorge. And it's just, it's one of my very favorite places. It's so funny. Like, you know, everyone was saying, obviously, Florida is a huge state for pickleball, Arizona. Like, that made sense to me. And then someone was like, Utah is right up there. And it's just so funny. I would have never expected that. Right. But they are, their parks got it from the beginning. I mean, back in the day, everything big, Caitlin, was out west. We never got to play on our side of the United States on the east over here. And so until the U.S. Open in 2000, I think, 15 or 16. And so... um Everything was out west, and Utah led the way because they their parks. They, I mean, we would go visit there. They were like, you know, three to five places that we could play, and we just were in awe because we, you know, were still taping and chalking and everything. And they just had dedicated courts. So Utah really, uh, you know, in Arizona, of course, leads the way in um, dedicated courts for sure. That's amazing. And also, I mean, I have to ask too, what was your favorite memory competing? What's like that one match that you'll never forget? Uh, you know, my brother had passed away in like 2000, um, I guess, 11. And so when I competed in my first 2012 um, uh, nationals uh, there in Buckeye, Arizona, winning that uh, even though I played tennis on the pickleball court, Caitlin, I know you can relate to that because you <laughs> yes, made you and I both it that way. Um, <laughs> but just playing that singles and winning that national championship, I remember just looking up the, at the sky and saying, if you had not pushed me to try to beat you in every sport there ever was known to man, I would not be this driven and competitive. So I had to give him all the credit. So it had to be my first national championship in singles in 2012 because of my brother. Yep. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. And Thanks. I mean, do you have any tournaments that you're playing that you're going to be playing with coming up? Yeah, I've never missed the U.S. Open or a Nationals. And so I'm excited to, to be partnering up with Tony Roig this year in at U.S. Open and uh, maybe even play the hybrid event next, you know, again, in April, where is the, you know, partnered with a wheelchair player. Um, if I'm needed this year, but I've been really enjoying being on that committee, trying to help make sure that the rules are fair, you know, for the hybrid event. And then I've never missed a nationals. And so I know we're going back to Arizona. I think, is that right? Um, yes. For nationals. Yes. Yeah. And they so, just announced that. So that'll be great. Cause that's kind of where it was when I first started playing again. So yeah, I love those big ones and then sprinkle a couple here and there in between, but I used to play two a month, used to play two tournaments a month. So it'd be just really tough to, leave work, jump on a plane, go play the two events and then jump back on a plane or three events and then get back home and get back to work on Monday morning. But uh, those days are kind of been rested for a while. But anyway, I've been, I'm thankful for those memories. Well, I'll see you at the U.S. Open. That's going to be so fun. I cannot wait. Honestly, like playing in Naples, Florida, I love that area. And the event is just so much fun too. People from all over. I love it. And I, I remember going to that tournament um, about, about facility in 2013 when there was not one not one dedicated court in that park 
Wow. It was a skate park and it was tennis courts and we would, they would tape the courts or yeah, they weren't painted. They taped them and the temporary nets would blow over in the wind. And so then finally, um, Terry and, and um, uh, Chris bought the rights for the U S open and they got all that developed and it's just been so smooth. And I just, it's one of my favorite tournaments of all time. That's literally what Kyle Yates said. He said that you would actually travel to tournaments and you'd be the one putting the tape down, setting up the nets. And like, it's just so crazy to think about that. And that was just, you know, a decade ago. Right. It really has just boomed, you know, literally just, just blossomed into where, you know, now I don't know if you can go to, you know, that that almost all the tournaments now are on dedicated courts. You know, we had talked about the national open with the APP coming before COVID. And now I think pretty much everywhere he goes now, it's not really many temporary, you know, nets in court. So um, it's, it's really boomed and it's for the right reason, right? Because it's just exploding. Yes. And your daughter plays. I actually just saw her uh, yesterday. Do you guys ever play together, practice, drill, or play in tournaments together? Not anymore. That rascal has kind of bypassed me. <laughs> so um, we used to be able to play in the 5-0 division um, back in the day and hold our own, uh, really, when she was still, still kind of dabbling in it. But now she takes it more seriously, and she's just, you know, those younger, faster, quicker, you know, re- reflexes and hands and feet just, you know, kind of bypass mom. But, you know, give me a good partner. I can at least hold my own against her every now and then, but I don't get to play as much with her as I, as I wish I could. And back then too, when you were saying most of it happened on the West coast, how were you able to, cause I know a lot of people here, they try to, you know, at least live in the same city or try to see the, their partner often to train. How did it work then when, you know, it wasn't really as accessible? Yeah, that's a great question. We would have to kind of try to see if we could get to the tournament a day in advance or the evening before just to kind of reunite um, with the partner that we were going to be playing with uh, because ve- no, no other time except maybe maybe Jeff Carlson, when I played with him, we would be able to practice together. But uh, when I would play with people from other cities and states, it's just like kind of get there a little bit before and, you know, kind of get our, our chemistry going again before the tournament started the next day. Um, but I, I, what I really remember that I loved so much was the, um, that the tournament itself, Caitlin, was really just the icing on the cake. The, the most fun ever was the, the, the nights before the tournament. And then when you got out, you kept playing with, with friends that were also out or whatever um, on until it was time to leave. And so really the before and after the tournament really were the highlights and the tournament itself was just kind of like, you know, it's icing on the cake, like I said, but <laughs> it really was so much fun because then you kind of got to play with different people to try to see, would we make a good uh, pair uh, to play a tournament in the future? You could kind of mix and match around and pros, you know, pros weren't called pros then, but the five O's would just kind of be playing with everybody. And so, it, you know, I kind of know it would change when the money came into it, but I really do have great fond memories of playing with people that you would never, ever expect to get to, you know, play a game with. So that was fun. But yeah. Do you think now with all the money that's being invested and with all the sponsorships, do you think it is really changing a game? And do you think it's for the better or the worse? You know, I'm sure there's pros and cons. Um, Obviously, it was just a matter of time before it it happened. Um, But it just, you know, with the contracts and the, 
you know, the big salaries and all, it, it just, it, it has to change it, unfortunately. Um, you're not going to see out there Ben Johns, um, you're not going to see Ben Johns out there hanging around playing rec play games with the four O's uh, anymore um, for many reasons. But uh, yeah, it, it helped it a lot, but um, there's also great memories of when there was no prize money in tournaments either. So I see both sides. And now there's even a junior league too. Um, I mean, obviously the best female player in the world is only now 17 years old, but um, is it exciting too to now see all these juniors start to play? So exciting, so exciting. In fact, you know, we offer a junior certification at IPTPA that you can, you know, learn how to teach, you know, children and students and to see them taking their knowledge on up and up to be able to compete and make it their primary sport is just so, you know, especially as a PE teacher, it's just so rewarding. I mean, it just, I'm not sure there's anything more rewarding than that. Well, Stephanie, you're a natural teacher, obviously a PE teacher. You've taught me, you've taught a lot of people across the country. I know a lot of people refer to you as the Nashville pickleball queen. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast and we'll see who joins us in the kitchen next time.